Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen. Joined, as always, by two-time Super Bowl champion, and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Ike, really excited for our guest today. Yeah, we got a special guest. I'm going to let you give his introduction. But uh, from the looks of it, he stayed busy on TV. You know, I don't know if y'all watch, <laughs> I don't know if y'all watch NFL, basketball, TNT, and do a little bit of everything, CBS, and do it all. So, so I'm going to let Mark get with this intro because he's a better intro guy than I am. But we do have a special <laughs> guest today. He is a man of many hats. He calls the NFL and college basketball games on CBS and NBA games on TNT. I'm pleased to welcome Ian Eagle to the show. Ian, game recognizes game. I first want to congratulate you on winning the New York Emmy for your play-by-play announcing with the Brooklyn Nets. I appreciate it. It's great to see you guys. Uh, Ike, you're looking good, man. It's, uh, I'm trying. Uh... Dude, hey, you're, you're an inspiration. I'm going to do abs after this. When we wrap this up, I'm doing abs. And Mark, great to, great to see you as well. And, and just nice to talk football. That, to me, is the best part of all of this, is that we get to actually talk a little football. So great to be with you guys. And there were many stories with the NFL draft. The ratings were the highest ever. Yep. Tua Tagovailoa is headed to the Miami Dolphins. The Packers drafting Jordan Love as a potential replacement to Aaron Rodgers. All kinds of shenanigans were happening at Titans coach Mike Vrabel's household. Yep. Ian, I wanted to ask you, what stood out to you the most from the NFL draft? Well, uh, for me, I think it was the intimacy of it more than anything else that we really enjoyed players with their families and those reactions and the authenticity that we saw. And also a seminal moment for me because I did not know that this was gonna affect me in, in this manner. I'm always going to remember this as life before Kingsbury, LBK, and then life after Kingsbury. I didn't realize that I wanted to be Cliff Kingsbury. I, I don't know if that was an ad for a cologne I want to smell like Cliff Kingsbury. That whole deal blew my mind. He, uh, he's got something going on there out in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, just getting a little taste of people's lives and the way in which we celebrated the league on this day, uh, it, it was special in, in many ways. And the way that football unifies us because there is that connection that we all have based on the fact that we love this game and, and we want it to come back. And obviously we're crossing our fingers that we get it back and we get it back soon. And for the listeners who don't know, Cliff Kingsbury's house, it looked like a scene out of Scarface. It was the setup he had was just having like, he had like concrete in his yard with grass in between. And so if you yeah. haven't seen that, check that out on Twitter. It was awesome to watch, and you could just definitely tell that the fans were 
thirsting for something to watch yep. with all of the closures, the cancellations. And so I thought the league did a great job in terms of making it a moment for fans and for the players as well to make it as memorable as possible and for something that can unify us and bring us together. Yeah, and logistically, this was not easy. Uh, the fact that the NFL did pull this together, and for the most part, it really came off without a hitch. And I wonder, I don't know moving forward if the NFL is going to take a look at this and the way people reacted to it and maybe make some adjustments down the road to the way that they handle the NFL draft. Uh, yes, oh, there's something about the big room and 100,000 fans and the stage and the embraces, but there was something really unique about this as well. And uh, I, I think it, it spoke to fans in a way that maybe they did not expect. There's something to where everybody can relate. Yep. Um, everybody can relate for the most part sitting down at Christmas and watching Christmas movies in the living room. Yep. Um, everybody got opportunity to see, okay, for the most part, these NFL players who's getting drafted, they living just like me. They in the living rooms with their grandmas, their granddads, their moms, their girls, they, they family. So we, we all got something in common in that aspect. And I think at this time with this pandemic going on, you know, we got to share that for that draft. That's what I like about the draft. And I agree with you, Ion, that NFL, they're going to have to start or at least think about putting some phases like this, whether it's day one, day two, day three, you know, start seeing guys with their family, you know, start seeing the tears getting shed, start listening to the stories because the stories were very authentic. The yep. stories of some of these guys had were very authentic, and I liked it. Just me being a former NFL player, I was already at home because I was a fourth-round draft pick. But at the same time, man, just hearing some of the first-round stories, you know, kids coming from Africa, seeing how kids grew up, seeing other families adopt kids, it was something interesting. So, yeah, I can, I can see why the ratings and the views were high because of what's going on. But at the same time, like you said, I, uh, you know, the NFL going to have to consider doing some stuff like this throughout the drive from here on out. Yeah, and Ike, I think it's a combination. I think the human interest side, there is no doubt about it. That is part of it. And then sometimes there's a reminder, and maybe in this current situation that we're in, we've been reminded of this more than any time that I can recall, the simplicity of things sometimes is enough. We have lived in a world where we overdo everything. We overhype. And sometimes it's just the simple thing, the reaction of a player and his family and his grandparents and his sisters and his brothers, uh, that moment speaks for itself. We don't need all the bells and whistles sometimes that seem to always go along with this. So I think it got right down to the common denominator. And you're right, there was this feeling of commonality that was experienced on that first day. And as Mark mentioned, fans were thirsting for it. They were yearning for something. So that content filled the void, at least for three days, you, you felt like, okay, this feels somewhat normal again. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Nothing was scripted. No. That's what I liked about the draft. Like, from, you know, one of the draft players' girlfriend and the mom having to get the girlfriend <laughs> off one of the draft players because she felt like that was his time. Like, that. like from coach 
Vrabel to what's going on in his household. <laughs> There's not, a lot not, going none on. Of that, not, none of that stuff was scripted. Like, no. this was like, this is what actually goes on in real life. Yeah. So that's another part. That's another thing I enjoyed about this draft, too. Even the commissioner, guys, uh, to me, you put him in a very humanizing situation. We can all relate. Uh, you're in your basement. You're in front of a TV. Obviously, it was a little different because he's got a camera and he's got millions of people watching his every move. But in trying to interact with the fans, and I thought the NFL and ESPN and the NFL Network did a very good job of at least showing that side. And if the fans put in boxes, uh, gave them just a brief moment of excitement, that's enough. If you're a, a Bengals fan, if you're a Browns fan, if you're a Steelers fan and you got to see this uh, collage of fans, it just gave you that, that warm moment. Uh, it, it, was, it was really nice. And now it is back to business for the NFL. They've got a lot of questions to answer about the calendar. And I don't think anyone has the answers right now. So uh, we're, we're thirsting for more, but we also have to realize that it's not that simple. You can't snap your fingers and, and make uh, this happen the way that you want it to. And I normally this time of year, you would be right in the thick of things coming off of March Madness and then into the NBA playoffs and yep. your duties announcing with both of those things. At what point did you realize the seriousness of the coronavirus outbreak? I was in San Francisco calling a Clippers Warriors game on TNT and there was scuttlebutt that day. That was a Tuesday night scuttlebutt that day that the Nets Warriors game that I was going to call two days later in San Francisco was going to be played with no fans. And it was building up some steam. And by Wednesday, the next day, it became official. They were going to play Nets Warriors with no fans. And if you remember, the reaction around the country was, whoa, what? What do you mean? How are you going to do that? How is that going to work? And now, as we know, that becomes much more of a reality moving forward with any of the leagues having to consider that as a possibility. But it really was at that moment that I, I knew that this was going to change very dramatically. So the day in between that Wednesday is when the president spoke to the nation. And then uh, it all came to a head with the NBA, with Rudy Gobert and the NBA suspended play. At that point, I jumped on a red-eye flight. I got home to the East Coast. My family was spread out everywhere. My son was in LA. My wife was in Australia visiting my daughter who was studying in Australia. So my main focus there was family, 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 family. And the next three days, four days was just trying to get everybody settled. And then once that was taken care of, I looked at the bigger picture. And I realized the NCAA tournament had been canceled. I was supposed to work the Atlantic 10 championship in Brooklyn. That got canceled. And the domino effect started to hit. And it was jarring for everybody. But from a sports standpoint, I knew, unfortunately, we were at a point of no return across many different sports that were still feeling the effects of all of these weeks later. It's, it's coming up on you know, nearly now two months so uh, this, is, this is serious stuff that hopefully we're beginning to turn a corner, but uh, the seriousness of it was not lost on me very early. Man, like you say, this is serious. It still is serious. But um, you said something earlier, and I say it all the time. You use the word I use all the time, Ion, and that's simplicity. And I think this is really bringing us back down 
in life to see exactly what we don't need, you know, and the things we do need is family and love and communities. And the things we really don't acknowledge are the workers from publics to, to the hospitals, to the policemen, to the fire people, to the, to the Amazon workers who, who risk their lives day in and day out just to drop something off to the Uber Eats, to Whole Foods. Like, this is really bringing everything down to, and for me, I've always been like this because I always thought simplicity is the best thing that can happen for anybody because I was fortunate enough to have an owner, RIP, Mr. Dan Rooney, you know, he drove his Buick LeSabre to the facility. That was the only car he had. Now this guy writing my checks <laughs> and everybody else checks and he pulled up in the Buick LeSabre. <laughs> so that, that, that brought me to the, the, to the simple things of life. Like Ike, you trying to get too much. Like why in the hell you want to get a Ferrari and the guy who signs your checks <laughs> pulling up in the Buick LeSabre. You know what I'm saying? So then I get, then I have one of my best friends. I call him my brother, Troy Palabalu. You know, Troy, Troy getting all this money from, from autograph signings to huge contracts to second, third big contracts. And he's still wearing shoes that got the two straps on it. Yep. So I'm, I'm looking at myself like, man, what the hell is you doing? Like, like you're trying to do too much. So the words you said, I on simplicity. It means a lot to me. And I'm glad you brought that word out because I think as a nation, we're finally starting to see we really don't need much to live. Yeah, Ike, kindness and being magnanimous should be staples of our everyday life. And maybe uh, this crisis has made people realize that that's the way it needs to be, certainly moving forward. You bring up Mr. Rooney. So when we do a CBS broadcast, we go into the city, we meet with players, we've met with Ike in past years, we meet with the head coach, and you know it's nice to just get a vibe of what's going on with the home team at their facility, and then the road team will meet in their hotel. I can tell you this, having done it now with CBS for 23 seasons, it's rare that an owner stops by. It's rare, it just doesn't happen all that often, occasionally. Every time we met with the Steelers, every time Mr. Rooney came into the room to say hello, to check in. I was working with Dan Fouts, the Hall of Famer, the last 10 years. Every single time he came into the room to see how all of us were doing, called us by our first name, knew why we were there, what we were doing. And to me, that's an indication of who you are and what your moral fiber is. He didn't have to do that. That's not what was happening around the league. That's what he chose to do because it was the right thing to do. And that's a clear indication of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to treat one another. Pandemic, no pandemic, that's what it's all about. I would be remiss if I did not ask this, this being the Believe in Steelers podcast. Is there an on-field memory of the Pittsburgh Steelers that sticks out most to you? I've called so many games uh, for the Steelers. I started at CBS in 1998. And man, if I did the math, you're talking about averaging probably three or four years. But I also do Thursday night radio uh, for the NFL, for Westwood One. So then tack on however many Steeler games there have been over the last 12 or 13 years in prime time on a Thursday night. Playoff games as well. So so many memories to speak of. The, the one that really sticks out to me, just based on the circumstance, 
based on the environment was Christmas a few years ago and Antonio Brown extending the ball against the Baltimore Ravens into the end zone. One of the great games that I remember calling and this crescendo moment that was building up to it and so much on the line. If Baltimore wins, Ravens are going to win the division. It was the Steelers that won the game and ended up winning the division that year. All the battles through the years between the Steelers and the Ravens having called both of those matchups this past season as well. And that rivalry, that's embedded in my head uh, because of the effort that was put forth and because how much was always at stake with those two franchises and those two teams. But the memories are endless, uh, just even behind the scenes memories when Coach Cower was coaching the team and we would go in there and I've gotten to know Bill a lot better since he joined the CBS team, but we would go in there and he would have just played racquetball and he was sweating profusely. Him and, and Kevin Colbert. Yes. Yes. Yeah. With Kevin Colbert and uh, sometimes with uh, some Doug. other staff members. I, and he would come into our meeting room and he would come in right after the racquetball game and just pick it up like nothing was going on in the world other than that. He had just played racquetball. He is in, he is in a deep sweat, drenched. Yep. And we're yep. sitting there asking him questions about his matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals or the Cleveland Browns that week. And I would just have to contain my laughter over the situation. Nobody would have ever predicted you get parachuted into Pittsburgh and you're sitting across from a sweaty Bill Cowher talking football for 25 minutes. But so many memories, uh, the great teams that I played on and uh, the class that the organization has always had and the carryover. You know, again, I'm going to say this, and, and maybe if it was a different podcast, people would assume that I would be saying it about a different coach. But I have to say what's real. Mike Tomlin is the best head coach that we speak with in these production meetings. 100%. The best, direct, honest, open. He'll tell you, uh, there's no tough questions, just tough answers. Just whatever you have to ask. Other coaches, you tiptoe around because you don't want to set them off. You don't want to trigger something based on your question. Mike Tomlin, you ask whatever you want to ask. I'll answer it the way I need to answer it. I love that. That's the best mentality that you could possibly have in that position. He enjoys the back and forth. And another person that actually cares about you as an individual asks about you and your family and what game you worked last week and where your schedule is going to lead you next week. Again, that's a, a true human being that, that actually cares about the people around him. That matters a lot. Ayan, I, I wanted to ask you, and it's, it's on my bucket list, but I guess I got to wait till next year of some sort. Well, I'd have been to a lot of events. I'm sure you'd have been to a lot of sports events. What is the atmosphere of that March Madness? Ooh, it's, it's really interesting because, guys, in the early rounds, look, you get a phone call on the Sunday night of Selection Sunday, 8, 8.30. They tell you, you're going to, and there's this anticipation. It's like slow motion. Seattle. <laughs> and like, okay. So now you got to study up for eight teams that you've never seen potentially. Maybe you've seen one or two, but you're starting from scratch for a lot. You've got two days to get it done. You get on a plane, you fly out there, and now you're starting to feel the juices 
from the teams practicing, talking to the coaches, and then the fans start streaming in. And it's really funny because most sporting events that you do, there's a home team, there's a road team. Sometimes there's neutral site games, but mostly home team, road team. It's not like that with the NCAA tournament. They'll get some fans from this school, some fans from that school, and then you'll just get wild card fans that have no rooting interest. But when they get in there, they start choosing who they're going to root for. So you can feel that in the arena that fans start backing an underdog. And if they start showing some signs that they could actually win the game in a March Madness setup, boy, it swings. That swing vote starts to move over to that underdog team. So I've done a bunch of upsets in the NCAA tournament, done that for many, many years. And you can feel that energy. And then as you advance on into the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, sometimes the arenas become larger. Sometimes they're stadiums. And that's a very different feeling. I've done some Final Four work as well on international broadcasts. I did that incredible Duke-Butler game in Indiana. And that's a huge cavernous setup. It's a football stadium with a basketball court and then stands built around it. So you're talking about 50, 60,000 people, but they're not, right, they're not right up on, on the action like they would be in a normal college game or an NBA game. So it's interesting how the sound works there. It's not overpowering, but the sound cascades through the stadium. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I definitely would tell you down the road, Ike, put it on the bucket list. Uh, just the, the, the sheer sight of it for a Final Four or a championship game, it, it's, it's unlike anything yet that you've experienced as a, as a sports fan because the juxtaposition of a basketball game in such a large place, it, it, it kind of messes with your brain a little bit. Got you. Let's take a quick break to tell you about betonline.ag. With no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. But BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. Sports aren't totally done. There's eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections. They're still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Now, let's get back to the podcast with Ian Eagle. I want to go back to the gridiron, Ion. For years, CBS has paired you with color commentator Dan Fouts. And for the listeners who might not know, Fouts was a Hall of Fame quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. And the reason I ask this question is, Ike, whenever we have our discussions on the Believe in Steelers podcast, you teach Mm -hmm. me something that I didn't know about football before nearly every single episode. And you do it in such a coherent way of if – you know, a listener or a viewer doesn't know anything about the sport, you're able to make sense of it. And I genuinely appreciate that about you. So, Ion, what I want to ask you is, CBS has decided not to renew Fout's contract for the upcoming season, but how has Dan aided your understanding of football and the years of experience that you have between the two of you? Yeah, well, first and foremost, Dan is one of my best friends. So our relationship is so deep beyond our broadcasts, 10 years together. That's a lot of time spent. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend from September through December. Our families are close. Uh, It's just been a complete joy 
a complete joy. So that's going to last a lifetime. The, the football side of it, I've been really fortunate in all the sports that I've worked. I've worked, I've kept a running list. When I started with the Nets in 1994, I was having lunch with the great Bill Raftery, who, who does college basketball and uh, is an amazing broadcaster in person. And we were trying to go through all the different broadcasters that he worked with. And he said to me, oh, I, I can't remember. I can't remember that. I said, well, you know what? This is a good lesson for me. I'm going to write down from here on out how many different people that I work with across different platforms. And it's been 135 partners that I've worked with now over the course of my career. And Mark, what you're saying about Ike, uh, it resonates with me because I'm learning every day, NBA, college hoops, NFL, tennis, golf, boxing. I've done all these different sports, track and field. And I don't pretend to be an expert. I've never pretended to be an expert. And what I can do is create conversation, be a really good listener, follow up what my analyst is saying with a point that either brings it home or puts a period on it and create banter, honest banter back and forth that people find interesting. The goal as a broadcaster is to be informative and to be entertaining. And sometimes you have to switch the priorities. If your game goes south, if it's a blowout, the entertainment part has to move up a bit and maybe the information part moves down. But your MO has to be that every single time you go on the air. Every time. That's not a question of, well, I'll do it on this game or this broadcast or this podcast. You've got to have that mindset all the time. So I've just tried to be a sponge and consume as much as I can, but not pass it off as my stuff. Use it in a way that can set up my analyst and create chemistry with your partner. As Ike needed chemistry on the football field, that was always a big question of communication with his fellow defensive backs, how he could give someone a look or a gesture and they would know exactly what he was going to do or how he was going to handle something. It's no different in a broadcast booth in that I can look at my partner and I know where he or she is going and I know then how to follow up and how to make that really hit home for the listener or the viewer. That's, that's the way that I've always tried to view it. And uh, to me, it is a team. I like being part of a team. Television, it's a large collaborative process. Yeah, big, it is. big time. You know, yeah. and, and Ike, I know you know from your experience working TV on the West Coast. It's right. just not you and a camera. It's no. everybody that's involved, the audio person, the camera person, the technical director, the associate producer, the producer, the director, the sound guy, the makeup artist, all of these people that yep. help put this on the air. So there's a sense of accomplishment when you finish a broadcast that you pulled this off for three hours, you got on television, you got off television, and maybe some people ended up being a little bit more informed based on the way that you handled yourself. Yeah, we ain't even talking about production meetings. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's yeah. when I was on air, um, I just bought the Pittsburgh, and I, st I still talk to everybody over there. When I was on air, I made sure I bought the Pittsburgh Steeler way to that organization. I took everybody out to eat. I, yeah. I don't care wh whether you was the janitor or my boss, 
Yep. When I come out to the West Coast, we going everybody going out to eat, and that, and you and you just get a different you 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 get stories you wouldn't get by going to work. Sure. You, know, you get personalities you wouldn't get by going to work. You get people more relaxed. So now when it's time to go to work, everybody's put everybody's putting their best foot forward. So it's it's easy to come to work now. So yeah, I I agree. I understand exactly how you feel, man. But then that there you go back to the words you was using earlier. That simplicity. Ian, I also wanted to ask you, you've had decades of experience or one of the best broadcasters in the business. And I'm sure this is something you've debated before, but I noticed that you're not on social media to promote <laughs> your broadcasting at all. What's your thought yeah. process in that decision? Yeah, it's interesting. When social media hit, I was high enough in the industry that my employers couldn't force me to join. So I was in that position where they asked me if I was interested. And I get it. There were some people that were maybe a little bit lower on the totem pole and they were told, hey, we need you to do this. And that's unfortunate. That's how life works sometimes. And we all understand that. Uh, that's just how it is. But I was fortunately just high enough where they asked me. And the reason why I was not interested uh, was not because I don't believe in the medium. I believe in it. I understand it. I use it as a tool. It's a great place to get news, information, to follow along with people that you respect their work. And uh, it's incredible what, what it has done. The reason I didn't do it is because I have many, many jobs. And for me to put myself out there in that way and know that I don't have the time to commit to it, it would have been putting my toe in the pool and not diving in. And I'm not a put my toe in the pool kind of guy. I'm an all in person. So I just recognize that uh, for someone like me and my personality, if I couldn't do it full throttle, I didn't want to do it. And now many years have gone by and many people have asked me, oh, you're entertaining. You should do this. It's not a question of that. It's a question of do I have the time necessary to do it the right way. And that, that was really all it was. Now look, we understand with Twitter comes the back and forth. And that means you, people have access to you and you've gotta be okay with that. And if I'm in the middle of calling a Steeler game, I would have to be okay with the idea of somebody middle of the game asking me why I'm openly rooting for the other team, which obviously is not the case. I have no rooting interest whatsoever. But that part of it, uh, to me, was not going to be productive or efficient in my life when I was focused on what I needed to do. So simple as that. But look, I'm going to tell you guys something. I've got a burner account. I know what's going on. I'm paying attention. <laughs> I hear you, KD. <laughs> my boy KD, man, he knows what's happening at all times, no matter yeah, what. See. <laughs> see if any of the aggregators pick that up. Ian Eagle with a burner account. You heard it here first on the Believe in Steelers podcast. <laughs> Ian, I did some research on your background. Your father, a stand-up comedian, also did commercials, small acting parts. Your mother was a singer. It seems that their experiences have helped you as a broadcaster. And now that seems that's something that you've passed on to your children. Your son, Noah, 
is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Los Angeles Clippers. It's a job he landed at age 22. I've listened to him. He's polished. He's outstanding. What would you say to a critic who says, oh, well, they only gave Noah Eigel that job because of nepotism? Well, people are going to feel the way they feel. There's reality, and then there's other people's altered reality. And I, I certainly can't besmirch anyone for what they're feeling. I just know what really happens and how it really works. And those kind of jobs are just not handed out. It was an exhaustive process. Uh, he went out, he had to do an audition. While he was still in college, he was a senior in college, flew out to LA, did an audition, uh, spent the day there, interviewed with uh, 10 people, and then flew back to Syracuse to continue his studies and wrap up his senior year. Got a phone call to fly to Seattle to meet with Steve Ballmer, the owner of the Clippers and went to Seattle, met with Steve Ballmer for an hour, and then got back on a plane and a red eye and flew back to Syracuse. All of this happened within a two-week period and ended up getting the job about two weeks after that, a week after he had graduated college. So I saw how he handled himself throughout that process and uh, how well he did in handling himself you could say that anyone could step in and and handle themselves in that manner. The reality is we all know that uh, there are seminal moments in your life and you got to be ready to deal with it and handle it and not get it out of the park. And uh, he was fortunate that he handled everything uh, like a mature pro. So proud day. Yeah, proud very day. much so. Very much yeah. so. Uh, but I, I get it. I, I fully understand, uh, but you know what you know. And, you know, fortunately in this situation, I know how everything went down. I played no role whatsoever. This was a professor of his that worked with a person at Fox Sports West in LA in a previous part of her career. And she had reached out to Noah to say, hey, they're interested in a potential young broadcaster. I gave them your name. Would you mind forwarding your resume reel? which he did, didn't hear back for a couple of weeks, and then they scheduled him to go out to the West Coast for an audition. So these things don't happen out of thin air. Look, timing, uh, being in the right place, at the right time, all of that matters in life, all of it. Uh, What he learned from me, that's a different issue, and that's a completely different question, obviously. Uh, he, He benefited from seeing me do this and not being intimidated by the idea that he could one day do this, growing up, watching me prepare, watching me go out and do games, literally sitting five feet from me while I was doing games, football, basketball. Of course, there's a benefit on that. None of this seemed overwhelming to him. And then when his opportunity popped up, he was ready. Getting to share some on-air experience with him as a father, what's that like for you? The best. That's been the best part of it. Our relationship was never based on broadcasting. We're father-son. But now that part of the relationship has taken more of the focus because we can share similar experiences. He's now gone through nearly a full season in the NBA. And just that life of back-to-backs and getting on a plane and getting to a city at 3 in the morning and 
getting ready the next day to do your job and to do it well and preparing for a broadcast and the press room food in certain towns and arenas that now I have someone to talk to about that and compare notes. So it's taken our relationship maybe to another level, but our relationship has never been based on that. Uh, fortunately, even you know, during this quarantine, uh, it's my wife, my son, my daughter here in New Jersey. Fortunately, we all like each other. We get along. It's not, it's not a, a drama-fueled house. There's no drama. It's very harmonious. And that's probably been the best part of all this, this unexpected family reunion that we've been able to share. If I asked Noah the same question, would he respond the same way in the sense that I understand you've transformed his room? Was that your idea? Was that <laughs> your wife Elisa's idea? Uh, more Elisa than me. Yeah, his room is not what he left it as. It's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely changed. Hey, man, things happen. You graduate, right, right. go out to the West Coast. We got, we got to make moves here. So things were, were in the process, but uh, enough of his room was still in place that it resembles the room that, that he left. But no, I, I played no role whatsoever in that. Starting to wrap up here with Ian Eagle on the Believe in Steelers podcast. Ian, what would you consider your biggest break in your broadcasting career? Oh, biggest break, uh, getting on the air at, at WFAN Radio at uh, 22 years old. That, mm. that was by far my biggest break. Uh, New York City, where I grew up, grew up in Queens, Forest Hills, and had some opportunities to go to other markets to be on the air when I graduated, but took a chance, took a job at WFAN Radio in New York, behind the scenes as a producer. Even though I wanted to be on the air, they told me, if you want to be on the air, do not take this job. They literally said those words to me. And I said, yeah, no problem. I get it. But in the back of my mind, I still took the job with the idea that I could one day get on the air there. And no, I, I was an intern. No intern had ever broken through. They, they just didn't see those kinds of behind-the-scenes people as potential on-air talents. And it's hard to break down the walls of perception. But uh, I did it, fortunately, and took about a year and three months for it to happen. And then just opportunities started popping up. I got the Nets radio job. I'd gotten the Jets pre and post game job. I got the Jets radio job. I got the Nets TV job. I got the CBS job and so on and so forth. So uh, that one chance that I was given on a random September Sunday in 1991 led to so many other things. And the other key part, and, and Ike will tell you this firsthand from his world, when you get that chance, you better take advantage of that chance. Because I may not have gotten close. a second chance. Correct. They, they Correct. put me on a, on a Sunday, NFL Sunday, to do updates that night. And if it didn't go well, there's a very good chance that I would not have gotten a second phone call. That I, they would have just kept me behind the scenes. And then my career would have had to take a turn somewhere else. But I did well. And in doing well, they said, we want you to do it again next week and then the following week and the following week and then prior to the buffalo bills washington red redskins super bowl so that's uh it was actually january i don't believe it was february that year late january of 1992 
Uh, I ended up doing a five-hour pregame show with Steve Levy, who's now at ESPN, leading up to that Super Bowl. And they liked what I, they heard. So they then gave me a shift weekend overnight, midnight to 6 a.m., meaning Friday night into Saturday morning, Saturday night into Sunday morning. They said, are you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. Let's go. And I did that for a year. So 12 hours a week overnight where you think, who's going to call? Who's going to join you as a guest? People called. People cared. It was New York City, four in the morning. Were they drunk? Yes, but they called. <laughs> they called. We had callers. <laughs> we had enough. And uh, that, that really, it, it just helped lay the groundwork for me to gain confidence as a broadcaster and to believe that I could do this at the highest of levels. And that kind of gets into, I know Malcolm Gladwell has a theory of the 10,000 hour rule, where if you do something for enough time, you become an expert. So, you know, working that overnight shift, iron sharpens iron. So, you know, you're working that shift where who else would want to work during those hours, but that's what it takes to make it in this industry. I kind of want to wrap up here with a hard hitting question. There have been two excellent documentary series during this pandemic. One is Netflix's Tiger King, and then the other is The Last Dance on ESPN. What's been the better documentary series, in your opinion? <laughs> uh, the Last Dance has been a little better. Yeah, no, The Last Dance has been, has been awesome. Don't get me wrong. Tiger King was well done. I, I was curious like everybody else. I think Carol Baskin's nuts. I'm with you. But, no, The Last Dance has been a, a revelation. If you're a sports fan, to watch – uh, the machinations of that Bulls team, that franchise, to watch greatness, how it was formed, and how Michael Jordan handled it. Uh, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat every week. I heard a call of mine from the third episode, a young version of me from uh, a Nets-Bulls game early in that 1997-98 season. So that was kind of cool. I did not hear a call of mine on Tiger King. So unless there's a sequel <laughs> to that, uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting <laughs> on that. So I've got to open this up. Ike, feel free to hop in here too. I've had this debate with some friends. If you had to work for one of the three, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, Carol Baskin, which, which are you choosing to work for if you had to pick one of the three? Ike? I'm going to let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, is there a fourth option? I don't. Right? I don't see any of those three as being strong options. Got to be honest. That that's crazy, crazier, craziest in any way you want to rank it. I concur. Ian Eagle, thank you so much for joining us on the Believe in Steelers podcast. This was fun. Please stay safe. Best of luck to you whenever you get back to. When you get back in the booth, do you have any idea when that's going to happen? Short answer, no. I uh, make sure uh, make sure you tell the family. I said, "What's up? Keep doing what you're doing." From what I see on how you talk, it's all about a rhythm. That's what I learned. Don't rush when you're on TV or radio. Have your own style. Be you, but perfect what you do. And uh, it's just interesting to see how you talk and the rhythm you're in. When we talk about quarterbacks getting in rhythm when they pass it to their receivers, we're talking about running backs getting in rhythm when they see hoes. Even as an analysis or broadcast as you are, I can see how you talk. You talk in a, a nice, smooth rhythm. So 
I'm just picking up small little things that that from what from what I see from you. So keep doing what you're doing. Of course, you know I'm, I'm sure you're a proud dad over over Noah and what he has going on. So that that tells you how good of a father and your wife is to your family. So again, man, I I, I, I just want to appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the show. You know, yeah, the feelings mutual. Feelings mutual, yeah. guys. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll do it again down the road and hopefully uh, do it at a time where we can really talk some football too. 100% appreciate you. Mark, you can take over. Perfect. Signing off for Ian Eagle and Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for tuning in to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Take care and so long, everyone. Peace. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.